Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. I hope everyone had a great weekend and a great Monday. Um, in case you've been living under a rock or you've been asleep since last week, uh, Judge Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, got confirmed. It was a really big day, a big deal on Saturday. I actually wasn't even home. I don't know why I'm not home on all of these very important political moments, like during the confirmation hearing with Ford and Kavanaugh. I was on a plane. And then when he was getting confirmed, I was buying shoes. I don't know why. I'm a poor planner. I'm an idiot. But I had it on, on my phone. All right. Yeah, I had it up on my phone. And I think everyone in Dillard's was like, what the heck are you doing? Because I was almost in tears listening to my... Mike Pence say that he was confirmed man. I, I did not particularly enjoy having to beat this drum every single day, tweeting about this every single second, posting on Instagram every single second. Um, but I did because I felt like it was worth it. And it wasn't just something to generate outrage or you know, for any other reason besides that, I felt like this was perhaps the most important political thing that I had been a part of so far. And by be a part of, I mean, just be a tiny, tiny voice in the stratosphere of political commentary and politics in general. Um, but it worked, uh, not me, but just all of us who were supporting him, who were out talking to people, uh, your Facebook posts, your tweets, your conversations that you had with your friends and your family, all of that mattered. And of course, as we talked about last week, uh, the sovereignty of God in all of this. Uh, but that doesn't mean that our actions don't have real consequences, good and bad. And in this case, we all banded together and we did really good work. Our calls to our senators are raising awareness about uh, the corroboration or lack thereof of the testimonies and making sure that people are remembering truth and facts. Now, it might seem like no one is listening to us, um, but the people who were actually uh, affected by this, who were maybe in the middle and then in the end ended up saying, you know what, uh, the truth and corroboration and substantiation is on Kavanaugh's side. Uh, those are the people that you might not hear about in the media that you might not see on social media, but maybe they were affected by the words you said or the words I said. Maybe a public support was moved even just a tiny bit in the direction of truth and justice, which in this case was the direction of Kavanaugh. So everything that you did in this mattered. Your call to your senator mattered. Your posts mattered. Your conversations mattered. And of course, our prayers mattered. Um, so I am, I am just, I'm so grateful that all of this was worth it. Um, that we fought really hard, that we pushed back um, in a way that I think is very noble because we cared about truth. I tweeted this the other day and it's still true. I did not fight so hard for Kavanaugh and for this uh, entire and, for, and fight against this entire narrative on the left of trying to smear his name based on unsubstantiated corroboration or unsubstantiated allegations um, because I think that he is going to be uh my uh, ally ideologically. Honestly, there are many concerns that conservatives have with Kavanaugh's record, especially in regards to the Fourth Amendment, the right to privacy. Um, I, he's not a Scalia. Um, he might be a textualist, but he's probably going to be a lot like Kennedy was. He's probably going to disappoint us sometimes. Um, he hasn't proven himself to be this staunch uh, constitutional conservative in the same way that, for example, Amy Coney Barrett was. Um, so it wasn't about that for me. Like 
he will probably disappoint me. It wasn't about my ideology. Yes, of course, it was about someone who's not going to be a leftist judicial activist who's going to care about the Constitution and the rule of law. Of course, that's important to me because I care about the perpetuation and the preservation of liberty for myself, for my kids, all posterity. But it was bigger than that. It was about justice. It was about um, all men and women uh, being able to be confident in our justice system and be able to say an allegation is not enough to ruin my life, man or woman. Because yes, in this case, it was a man and the accusation was sexual assault, but it could be a, a woman in another way or uh, in an, in another instance. I don't want to live in that world. And the argument, of course, from the left was, you know, this confirmation hearing, the accusations, with Ford. This was not a criminal trial. It doesn't have to be innocent until proven guilty. The burden of proof doesn't have to be on the accuser. And you're right that it's not necessarily a trial and that it was technically a job interview. But don't we want our legislating body uh, to abide by the basic principle that America was founded on, that a person is innocent until proven guilty? Do we really want our legislative body to hold nominees and other elected officials to the standard of as long as you are accused, not even credibly accused, but as long as you are accused, you're not only going to lose this opportunity, but we are going to allow the media and other politicians to drag your name through the mud. Like, is that what we want our Congress to abide by? So even though this is not a trial, um, innocent until proven guilty should be a guidepost. Now, that doesn't mean that that doesn't change our thoughts about someone, that that doesn't possibly taint uh, someone's reputation. The fact that they were accused of something, whether it was true or not, of course, those are natural consequences to being accused of something. Um, but as far as real life consequences go, or uh, yeah, real life outcomes, like not being appointed to the Supreme Court, I do not think it's justice uh, to say that someone shouldn't be appointed just because they're accused of something that allegedly happened 36 years ago and cannot be corroborated or substantiated. And I could go into all of the things that even developed right before the confirmation actually happened that, again, uh, just proved or helped uh, helped the support um, for Kavanaugh and against Ford. There were letters, statements that came out. Her best friend, Leland Kaiser, whom Ford said uh, was actually at the party at the time, she came out and said she felt pressure by Ford allies uh, to say that she believed Ford when in reality she had no idea whether or not she should believe Ford and she doesn't even know Brett Kavanaugh. She said that she was actually uh, pressured by people that Ford knows. So if you have not been able to see and piece together at this point that this was a terrible, terrible democratically or Democrat funded smear job um, against Kavanaugh, then you have your blinders on. But here's here's the reason uh, why so many people still have their blinders on. Um, it's because this turned into something that was no longer about Kavanaugh and Ford. This wasn't about this particular case. It wasn't about an event that happened 36 years ago. Um, this became a part of the larger Me Too movement. It became um, something about feminism rather than the facts at hand. So everyone attached Ford to the Me Too movement and their own story of survival of sexual assault 
rather than saying, wow, the facts and the corroboration really don't go in her favor. That's what happens when you buy into identity politics. This idea that if you're a woman, you have to believe this because the Me Too movement and feminism is for women. So you had all of these women hysterically protesting in D.C. Um, saying that we believe Ford, we have to believe women. If you don't believe women, then you're a misogynist or you're a rape apologist, as the Women's March has said and as NARAL has said or you don't care about sexual assault, all these things. They're false arguments, but that's what happens in an identity politics tribalistic society. If you say my tribe believes this, my identity has to believe this, I don't really care what the truth is. This is my mantra. This is my cause. I am going to die on this hill no matter what. That's when facts become irrelevant. What happened was the Me Too movement started as saying we should listen to her. We should listen to a woman who comes forward with these allegations. And I say, yes, we should listen to her. We should provide her cover so she feels safe to come forward and say I was sexually assaulted however many years ago. But then we moved from listen to her to believe her. And between listen to her and believe her, we stopped caring about facts. We stopped caring about truth. We stopped caring about reality. Because this idea, as we've said many times on this podcast, of believing someone just because they're a woman is not just. Uh, There is no biblical support for that. There is no logical support for that whatsoever. Believing someone based on their gender. But that's what happened. So all of the people that were stacked against Kavanaugh, um, they were stacked against him for emotional reasons because they were told by the higher ups on the left that this is about sexual assault, that this is about the Me Too movement. This is about feminism. This is about women. And if you are for Kavanaugh, you are against all of those things. And you're, you know, a misogynist and a rape apologist, like I said, and people believed that because again, people don't like being called those names. They don't want to be a misogynist. So they're like, yeah, I guess I should be against Kavanaugh instead of actually looking at the facts of the case and looking at what is actually true. That is identity politics for you. Um, And it's extremely unfortunate. And one thing that I found so sad, I mean, Alyssa Milano, all of these celebrities were, you know, tweeting these stories of sexual assault. I saw this poor 15 year old girl who was standing up talking to him. Maybe it was a senator. I'm not sure who she was speaking to, but she was in tears uh, sharing her story of sexual assault, 15 years old. And it broke my heart. Anyone with a shred of humanity would watch that and say, wow, that's devastating that that would happen to someone. What can we do to help her? But I, I felt for her, not just because she was a victim of whoever assaulted her, but also she was a victim of people on the left who manipulated her into believing that this uh, Ford versus Kavanaugh drama is about her story. Um, that is the manipulation of emotions. That's the leveraging of people's trauma in order to advance your political agenda. And that is wrong because the reality is uh, this particular case was not about anyone else's sexual assault. It was about an allegation. Um, when you start to make this about your own sexual assault, that's when you stop caring about what is true in this case and what is not. And look, as I've said many times before, I have the utmost empathy for victims of sexual assault in anger towards sexual assaulters. Um, I personally have never been a victim of sexual assault. I have been put as so many, so many women that I know have, have been put in situations where I'm like, wow, this is really uncomfortable. I shouldn't be here. This person is pressuring me more than I want to be pressured. I've been in that situation. I've never 
I've thank God I've never actually been a victim, but that doesn't mean that I can't in some way relate to women who have been victimized, who have been abused. Um, I understand that that must be unimaginable trauma. And I understand, I even understand this because I have in some way been able to relate to this. I understand that if you have been sexually assaulted, if you've been raped, whatever it is, you watch Dr. Ford and you have listened to all of these stories of sexual assault and you have said, that's me. That sounds like me. I feel that pain. I know exactly what she's going through. And while empathy is so powerful and while it's so convincing and so compelling, you cannot let that blind you to reality. Because like I said, this is not about sexual assault in general. This is about this particular case, this woman's story, whether or not it can be proved or at least not even proven, but at least substantiated in this man's life and his name that is being ruined. Um, you cannot make it about your story. And I feel badly for the young women who have been told that it's about their story. The young women who have been told that, oh, if he is appointed to the Supreme Court, uh, then that means that these politicians, that the Republican Party doesn't care about you. That's a lie. That's manipulation. Uh, Susan Collins, who, uh, you know, the senator from Maine, we didn't know. She was a swing vote. She came in clutch uh, for Kavanaugh. She delivered this wonderful speech on the Senate floor, um, really refuting point by point every single argument that leftists have put up against Kavanaugh. Um, And she just reiterated that there's this argument, this false argument on the left that if you support Kavanaugh, then you don't care about sexual assault. And she just said, that's not true. She is a supporter of Me Too. She is pro-choice. She is really in so many ways a moderate and even leans to the left in a lot of ways. And she just very unemotionally and factually kind of tried to assuage any fears or any concerns that people on the left had. Um, And I'll play you just a little clip from her speech right now. But certain fundamental legal principles about due process, the presumption of innocence and fairness do bear on my thinking, and I cannot abandon them. In evaluating any given claim of misconduct, we will be ill-served in the long run if we abandon the presumption of innocence and fairness, tempting though it may be. We must always remember that it is when passions are most inflamed that fairness is most in jeopardy. So extremely reasonable. I didn't even agree with her entire speech because like I said, she is pro-choice. She supports Planned Parenthood. Um, But she was speaking to a particular audience. She was speaking to the leftist audience that has grown completely unhinged over this entire thing. Um, And how did leftists respond, at least on Twitter and blue checkmark leftists respond? Oh, oh, this is this is a disgrace. She's such a liar. She's so dishonest. She's so horrible saying horrific things about her and her integrity and her honesty, of course, threatening to, you know, remove funding from her 2020 campaign and all of this stuff. I'm like two days ago, you guys were buttering her up and saying that she's a feminist, that she she's going to do the quote right thing. I mean, now you're saying she's anti-feminist. She hates women. But the funny thing is, I did not see one reasonable rebuttal to anything Susan Collins said. And I mean, she was factual, 
point by point by point. The only thing they heard is she doesn't believe women. She's demeaning victims of sexual assault. Um, no, that's not what she's doing. And she actually explicitly said that's not what she's doing. But again, um, it became entirely emotional for people, entirely emotional, had nothing to do with reality anymore. And look, here's what made me so mad about the crazy people in the chamber who were, uh, you know, protesting and things like that. Of course, we don't know who allowed them into the chamber. That's a whole scandal in and of itself. The people who were uh, storming D.C. and ask Amy Schumer asking to get arrested, all of this ridiculousness, just screaming like banshees, uh, ad hominem attacks, you name it. Here's what bothers me about these so-called feminists and these so-called Me Too advocates that have been just screaming relentlessly over this whole Kavanaugh thing without actually offering any facts to this case is that women, feminist, not feminist, have tried really hard for a long time, uh, I would say decades, to prove that we are to be taken seriously, that we are a force to be reckoned with, that whether we are um, in the boardroom, in the classroom, whether we're at home, whether we are in Congress, whatever it is, that we can do it, that we can handle it, that we can step up to the plate, that we are not hysterical, that we don't just make emotional decisions. Um, and yet we have these we have these women, these feminists who have completely ruined that for us, who have completely disproved um, all of our assertions over the past few decades that we should be taken seriously. And if we have concerns, we're going to address them in a logical, reasonable, calm way. Um, We've proven, women have proven over the past couple of weeks that that's not true, that actually we do make completely emotional decisions and that we just uh, believe anyone who, uh, you know, agrees with our feelings. I think that's such a shame. All of these women who say they're strong and empowered and should be taken seriously probably need to calm down, like tell the truth and don't rely entirely on your feelings. Um, so, of course, Democrats have not taken this extremely well. They are already talking about impeachment, uh, which is possible. Um, you have to have a you have to have a super majority in the House. I'm just making sure that I get this correct. You have to or yeah, you have to have a super majority in the Senate and something else in the House. Now I forgot. I'm just afraid that I'm going to get the qualifications wrong, but it's possible to impeach someone. Now it's only actually happened one time and it was over 200 years ago, I believe. Um, now a justice did resign a few decades ago under threats of impeachment. Um, but it's very hard to impeach a Supreme court justice. It's probably not going to happen, but of course they're talking about it. Nancy Pelosi said, Ooh, we're going to release the FBI report. She's completely bluffing. If the FBI report had anything remotely incriminating about Kavanaugh, which it doesn't, I guess I skipped that part. There was apparently nothing incriminating about it. We didn't actually get to see it though. If there was anything remotely incriminating about Kavanaugh, if there was even a hint of misconduct, uh, misconduct uh, towards or about Kavanaugh in the report, Democrats would have already leaked it and they would be completely exaggerating what was in it, but they haven't said anything about it. 
All they say is that, oh, it's incomplete. They didn't uh, interview the right people and the White House stopped them from interviewing the right people. That's a lie. The White House has said, no, we didn't stop. We didn't stop them from investigating anything. They investigated this and that's it. Sorry. And of course, we knew that the Democrats were going to move the goalpost on that. Um, But yeah, FBI report apparently uh, came up with nothing. And so there's not going to be there's not going to be any reason or any way for them to impeach them. But of course, that is what they are threatening. Um, Now, with all of this absolute madness and hysteria coming from the left, um, they're talking now about getting rid of the Electoral College because that's how that's how uh, that's how Kavanaugh happened. And that's how Trump got elected. And we need to take away the electoral college. Of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said this because she's an absolutely uneducated person. I was going to say something more rude than that. She is an uneducated person. The only reason that they're talking about that, though, is because Trump won. If Hillary Clinton had won the electoral vote, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be talking about the electoral college, but they are because they're still sore losers and they're realizing him winning the electoral vote hasn't turned out well for their version of the country. Um, So amidst all of that absolute madness, their fierce, uh, the left's fierce opposition to the Constitution and to any kind of morality whatsoever, um, voter enthusiasm for the GOP has gone up considerably. So there was an NBC poll that I read in NPR um, that analyzed voter enthusiasm between Republicans and Democrats in July, and they compared that to September. I think Republican uh, voter enthusiasm went up by 12 points since uh, July. So Democrats were way ahead of us in July as far as saying, okay, the midterms are really important. We're going to come out to vote. Republicans were less enthusiastic. Now Republicans and Democrats are in a tie. Um, And that is, I guarantee you, a direct result of the absolute madness that we have seen on the left. Um, Look, I, I've been a critic of Donald Trump. I'm a critic of Republicans. Like I, as someone who is really pro-life, I am not particularly happy um, about how Republicans have done things. Why are we still funding Planned Parenthood? Uh, why haven't we uh, funded the wall? Why aren't we doing a lot of the things that we voted these Republicans in to do? Um, so I'm not saying that Republicans are awesome and that that is my pitch to you to vote for them in the midterms. But it would take so much for me to, I don't even know what a Republican, I I don't even know if I could not vote for a Republican in the midterms because I am genuinely so scared of what the left has become and the version of the country that they want. Like they have become so unhinged, so, um, so opposed to the Constitution, so opposed to patriotism, so opposed to our country's founding, to free speech, to uh, freedom of thought, to the Second Amendment, to capitalism, that I will do whatever it takes to keep Democrats out. Like if they want a world in which you are guilty until proven innocent to where rape allegations don't have to have a burden of proof, um, then I I will do whatever it takes to make sure that they are not controlling this country. I think that's how a lot of people feel about Donald Trump. That's how I feel about Donald Trump as a critic of Donald Trump. It's like, I don't even know what he could do at this point to make me not vote for him. It's not that I'm voting for him or even for Republicans. I am voting against Democrats. I am voting for not Democrats. And Democrats are so stupid in that all they have to do 
in order to win over moderate voters, not me, I'm not moderate, but win over moderate voters, people in the middle, um, would be to not be crazy. Like just be normal and have a conversation and be reasonable for a little bit. I guarantee you, you will win a lot, a lot more people over and you will probably take over the country and enjoy a long reign of the country, but they can't, they can't, they get more and more left, more and more radical and their political correctness and their demand for uniformity of thought um, in their uh, hatred for capitalism and their love for socialism and totalitarian regimes that I'm like, I, I, I can't even I, 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 I will just do whatever it takes. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that you are not in power. Um, and I think that's why voter enthusiasm is up. And I encourage you. I mean, you don't have to think the same way I do. Maybe you see things totally differently. Maybe you're an independent and you're not going to you're not going to vote for Republicans in the midterms. I would encourage you to look at the state of the Democrat Party and look at the state of the left and remember how unhinged and how cruel they have been over the past couple of weeks and ruining a man's life and how crazy they are now in opposing things like the electoral college in the constitution and think about the future that you want for the country. If I were you, which I'm not, but if I were you, I would do absolutely whatever it took to make sure that Democrats do not take over. And that means I would vote Republican if I were you. I would campaign for Republicans. I would donate to Republican campaigns. I would um, go block walking. I would make sure that you are as involved as you possibly can. Now, I'm not saying you should compromise your principles. Like if there's a candidate, say he's a Republican and he's just a terrible person. He doesn't stand for anything that you stand for. He's Republican in name only, or he's just done some really terrible things. I'm not saying that you should compromise your values for that. Vote for the liberty-minded candidate. Uh, vote for the person that's going to go to Washington or go to your state legislature and actually fight for your liberty and fight for your freedom and fight against this crazy, insane world that the left is building for us. Like, I'm actually scared of that world. I really, really am. And that means I am going to continue to vote for Republicans, even though they might be imperfect. Imperfect is a lot better to me than absolutely insane and ruinous. So that's where I stand on that. I'm glad to see Republican enthusiasm is up. I want to keep it there. Um, get involved in the local campaigns. Talk to your friends. Make sure you're having conversations with your friends who are on on the edge, who maybe don't know what to think, aren't super politically involved, make sure you register them to vote. Uh, look online to see when the deadline is for registration to vote for your particular state. Uh, make sure all of your friends are voting. Be that annoying friend that's like, freaking exercise your right that people died for. Make sure that you go vote. And when you're thinking about who to vote for, think about the values that you want protected for your kids and your grandkids, which should be liberty, the ability of anyone to pursue their own definition of happiness unencumbered by government regulation. Huh. Okay. So that is all that. Um, a couple more things. I just wanted to kind of recap you on that again. Thank you guys for all of your support in, in all of this. Um, I think that we're, I think that we're going to be okay. Like it gives me hope for the country that this actually, that he was actually confirmed. Um, so now I'm going to answer 
a listener question, and then I'm going to highlight an awesome nonprofit that one of you guys sent me as I promised to do at least once a week. Um, Okay, so listener question. My name is Emily and I listen to your podcast often. I grew up in a Christian household. However, about six years ago, I drifted away from God. I currently identify as an atheist, but the idea of believing in God is always pressing on me. Can you answer any questions about how and why God exists and what I as an atheist can do to come to believe in him? First of all, Emily, I think it's amazing that as an atheist, you have this curiosity and this open-mindedness and that you're willing to have this conversation because it's a very vulnerable and a unique place to be nowadays to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to explore. Everyone nowadays has their mind completely made up and they think that if they don't have their mind made up, that it's a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. So the fact that you are responding to this kind of pressing that you feel on your heart, which I'll get to that in a second. Um, and the fact that you're willing to reach out to someone like me who you know is a Christian says a lot about you. It says a lot about your curiosity, your strength of character. And I just commend you for doing that. I know it's not easy. It's uh, a, a hard thing to do to put yourself out there like that and say that you don't know. Um, so I will say that the fact that you are feeling something pressing on you is a good indication that something, something exists outside of you. Otherwise, uh, what would be pressing on you? How can you explain any kind of conviction or any kind of force from something outside of you saying, Hey, maybe you should walk in this direction, or maybe you should be curious about this. So I say as a Christian that it's not a coincidence that you feel something on your heart and that you have decided to ask this question. So the best explanation, there are so many great explanations that people have come to over the years for why God exists or the best um, reasoning for the existence of God and an existence of a higher power. One that has really made a big effect on or had a big effect on me is C.S. Lewis's explanation for a higher power, not even talking about the Christian God yet, but a higher power. He, C.S. Lewis was an atheist, um, highly intellectual and just rejected this idea of human beings needing a God and that became a Christian has a really amazing story. Um, I actually already emailed Emily back and recommended Mere Christianity, but in Mere Christianity, um, he talks about this existence of a moral law that really every sane person abides by. There's a reason why we have human rights organizations that transcend borders um, that really everyone agrees with. There's a reason why the UN, for example, has particular human rights standards that everyone agrees with. And if you go against these human rights, um, you are considered wrong or immoral and you get punished. Um, There is a reason why there is a moral law that transcends all time and transcends all culture. And there's really a few basic things that we can all agree are wrong. Taking an innocent life. Now, again, abortion makes this more complex, but if you even if you talk to someone who's pro-choice, you would say taking an innocent life is wrong. Abusing someone is wrong. Taking something that is not yours is wrong and immoral. And again, we could have disagreements on what this looks like, but in general, like we believe that for example, slave camps uh, that are in North Korea and even in China, that that's wrong. That's a crime against humanity, that uh, sex trafficking is wrong. So the question, if you agree that there is some kind of transcendent moral law that 
all sane and relatively moral human beings have come to agree upon that I'm not going to take your stuff. You don't take my stuff. I'm not going to hurt you. You don't hurt me. If you do, that's going, you're going to be punished. Um, you have to ask yourself where that higher law came from. Um, it didn't come from the government because it's existed before governments actually existed. Um, where did it come from? Why did we agree on this higher moral law? If a higher moral law exists that some kind of that we all agree on some basics on right and wrong, then there has to be a moral law giver. If a law exists, a law giver exists. And if we all agree that there is some kind of moral law, we have to agree that it came from somewhere. And the only the only kind of thing that can give something that is transcendent, like a universal moral law, is a being that is also transcendent, something that is above government, something that is above human beings. If it has transcended time and culture, then its source is also transcendent. Um, it's not just evolutionary because it actually would be beneficial for me to kill my neighbor if I feel like my neighbor is entrenching on my food and my survival. It would be good for me to kill him. And yet there there is something in the human heart that says, no, that's that's wrong to kill someone just because I want to. Why do we agree on that? Well, if there's a moral law and a moral lawgiver, we have to answer for who who that moral lawgiver is. Um, and of course, and this is going to take forever and we're already over our time. But so I would encourage you to read C.S. Lewis to go from, okay, there's an existence of a higher power to, okay, how do we get to the Christian God? And then how do we get to Jesus Christ, which is the crux of the Christian faith? Um, but I would start there. I would start with saying, okay, um, how do I fill the gap between what I believe like a moral law and what I see in the world and who actually gave me these things, why I think this way, why the entire world seems to function on the same moral law clock. Where did that transcendent idea actually come from? Um, if there is something bigger than us that we cannot understand, then why is it unbelievable to believe that there is a higher being that is bigger than us that we can't understand? So if human beings have the ability to say, wow, there's this idea of an infinite that my mind can't comprehend. For example, if you sit there and try to think of eternity, like your mind can't do it, then why is it so amazing to think that there could be a God that exists outside of our, what our minds can really understand? If we understand that humans are finite, that we can't understand something that's infinite, why would it be unbelievable that there would be a higher power that's also infinite that we can't fully understand in our minds? Um, so that's where I would start. I would read Reason for God by Tim Keller, read Mere Christianity um, by C.S. Lewis. Now, you might not like all of their all of their ideas. You might not agree with them. Wrestle with them. That's okay. Um, faith without doubt is like a body without antibodies. It's okay to have doubt. Um, it actually makes it stronger as long as you go into the truth and seek the truth in those doubts rather than run away from it. You're going to end up okay. God is bigger than that. And he's in control of all that. And I am so thankful that he is pressing on your heart. That's not a coincidence. Realize that that's not a coincidence. There are plenty of atheists who don't have the same feelings that you do. So I would say run into that curiosity and don't be scared of it even when it makes you uncomfortable. And if you have any more questions, you can always reach out to me. You already know my email because you emailed me. So thank you for your question. Uh, last thing is a nonprofit. 
So uh, the nonprofit that I uh, was sent was Save the Storks, which I'm already familiar with. Um, I'll read what it is. Uh, they partner with pregnancy resource centers and they give abortion vulnerable women, so women in crisis pregnancy situations, uh, a choice that's going to change their lives. They partner with resource centers all over the nation. Uh, they provide the centers with uh, tools and training uh, to help connect with the women in these crisis pregnancy situations. They have mobile sonogram units um, and they are able to go to these pregnancy centers and better equip them to make sure that they're reaching the people in their community. Um, they have already helped save over 4,000 babies. If you guys are don't already know, an abortion happens, I think it's every 30 seconds. So Save the Stork is going in to that extremely um, extremely scary and frightening and very vulnerable place for women and providing them with options. So this is if you don't have a particular resource center in your area that you can volunteer at or you can um, send money to, then Save the Storks would be a perfect cause for you to get involved in and to donate to. You can go to savethestorks.com uh, to get more involved. I encourage you to do that. As you guys know, I am um, extremely pro-life. It's a uh, uh, it's a an issue that I am extremely passionate about. And what I want us to do is to not just make abortion not legal, but also make it not needed. Or at least I don't want women to feel that they need it. So that means loving them, providing them with resources, providing them with the tools that they need to make a decision to put their child up for adoption or maybe to raise their baby. Um, and so any any way we can fill in that gap and offer hope, I think is amazing. So go to savethestorks.com. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you have a great rest of your Tuesday and I will see you back here on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks.